Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. This episode is sponsored by Rimmel Greenhouse Systems, makers of quality greenhouse structures. Whether you're just getting started or buying your 10th tunnel, Rimmel has a structure to fit your needs. I've purchased and grown in Rimmel houses and would recommend them to everyone. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with yet another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today my guest is Julianne Janice, who is a former research scientist who quit that career nine years ago to pursue her lifelong dream of becoming a farmer. She's always been obsessed with animals of all kinds, and her goal is to better understand them so that she can help us all approve the way it coexists with other species. In 2015, she founded Red Tailed Farm, a diverse pasture-based livestock farm with a focus on sheep and goats. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Michael. So give us a little bit of, you know, when you were growing up, when did you know that you wanted to like work in science or with animals? Since as early as I can remember, really. I remember being probably four or five years old and uh, every weekend bugging my dad to take me to a farm or a zoo or um, a nature center, um, anywhere where I could learn about animals and interact with them um, and be exposed to that sort of science, biology, and uh, really anything to do with animals. Mm-hmm. Now, you chose to start as a research scientist. Was there a very specific reason why you chose that route? So I got my degree in animal science, and mm-hmm. really my goal in college was to pursue a, pursue a veterinary degree. Okay. Um, but I was a little burned out after undergrad, decided I wanted to get a job for a while and ended up finding a job in a local uh, contract research lab where I learned a whole bunch of skills and I really liked the work. Um, I was there only about a year and a half before I was recruited by the pharmaceutical giant Pfizer. Um, Mm. And I ended up going to work for them for about the next decade. And I worked for them in Michigan at first. Uh, Then I was relocated to uh, the United Kingdom for a couple of years. Then I went back to California. And um, I worked primarily in the vaccine research division, um, looking mainly at bacterial diseases. Fascinating. Yeah, it was um, a really great experience. I worked with some super top-notch scientists, uh, learned a a whole lot, um, but it just wasn't really what I wanted to do with my life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right, let's break that down into the, because that really interests me. So were you working on vaccines for humans or animals? Mainly for humans. Okay. Interesting. Now bacterial. So what kind of diseases are we talking there? Um, My main project was for MRSA. Um, okay. Uh-huh. Antibiotic resistant staphylococcus. And I worked a little on the pneumococcal vaccines, um, a little bit with flu viruses, but uh, yeah, mainly, mainly MRSA. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. I didn't realize that they was a vaccine for those, some of those, or they, are they, is there a it's vaccine? It's actually still in development. So okay. Typically, so that- typically that takes a really long time. 
So the millions and billions of dollars that go into that development of those, yeah, those things. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's still in clinical trial and I, I follow it a little bit, um, but hopefully that, that vaccine makes it to market. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's a big challenge. I know of what that, what that is. Um, yeah. I've known several people that have had debilitating infections with staff. So. Yeah. And now is that mainly something that's comes from a hospital? Those infections come from there in the hospital or can you pick it up um, from just being around? Yeah. What we were focusing on as a, as a vaccine project was um, mainly people in hospital, people that get um, like knee replacements or any kind of um, artificial implant are really at risk. It, uh, the bacteria is really good at sticking to uh, plastics and, and things like that, that are used in, um, in replacement joints and mm -hmm. things like that. So, um, the goal would be to, um, to vaccinate people before they went in for surgery and prevent a lot of those infections. Um, there's also, uh, a pretty prevalent community acquired staphylococcus infections. Um, and those are seen a lot a lot of times with sports teams or in locker rooms, um, in high schools, things like that. Um, so that would also be a target for, for a vaccine. Gotcha. Very interesting. All right. So then you were in that for a decade or what caused you to say, you know, I'm out. So I was in my mid thirties, uh, comfortable in my career, moving up in my career and, and still not really satisfied. Um, with that. And I always had in the back of my mind, um, this attraction to farming and to the rural life. Uh, I just never really saw it as a viable career option. And I was trying to sort of have a hobby farm or homestead um, while I was in California working for Pfizer. And I found myself just wanting to be home working on that more than, than at the office. So I, I felt like you know, if I'm going to do it, it's, I, I need to do it now. So I took about a year to get my affairs in order, basically to get out of debt, to put some money away, to minimize the things that I owned and my responsibilities. And, um, I found, um, the Atra website, which, uh -huh. um, has a bunch of really good, uh, opportunities for internships and apprenticeships. And I started applying to some of those um, and so I, I ended up quitting my job, um, with an internship to go to, um, and the, the first one that I chose was, um, the Green String Institute in Petaluma, California. Okay. And it's primarily an organic vegetable farm. It's about 600 acres of vegetables. They also run a large vineyard. And even though I knew my focus in farming was always going to be animals, um, I really wanted to have a diverse farm and um, I knew very little about botany or, or growing anything. And I felt like that those were skills that any farmer really needed to know. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that I did that because um, that place in particular, um, you, you worked in the fields all day, getting hands-on experience. And then all afternoon you were in a classroom um, learning like, uh, you know, soil yeah. biology and, and all the things that you need to know. So 
Um, it was a very well-rounded education for somebody that um, had really no background in that. Fascinating. Now, so it was an internship and was that, um, uh, how did the finances work? Were you paying them? Were they paying you? So the, uh, sort of they, they paid us for our time in the field and then um, deducted from our paycheck um, room and board. Okay. So you got like a little bit of a living stipend, but that mm-hmm. was kind of how they, how they worked the books. Okay. Yeah. Cause that seems like really intensive and that's uh, I actually haven't heard yeah. of them. So that's really cool. Um, I would have, uh, to me, I would have fallen asleep in the afternoon, <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Um, we would cook huge lunches and then, yeah, like sit around a big table and, uh, and have class. So it was challenging to stay awake some days for sure. Yeah. All right. So what would you say was the biggest thing you learned in that experience? Oh gosh. So much. Um, I think really uh, it opened my eyes to um, the the ecosystem of the soil and mm. how important that is to everything that you do in in farming and um, in land stewardship and ecology, which I, I've always wanted to be a big part of what we do with the farm. Um, environmental stewardship has been one of our um, big missions here. So um, if if I didn't have that point of view and that knowledge, um, uh, I, I think I would look at the, just the, the whole farm ecosystem differently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, when you were working the fields there, were you mainly on harvest planting? What was kind of the task that you had you yeah. focused on? Yeah, any, anything and everything that needed to be done. So um, yeah, prepping beds, planting beds, um, harvesting, uh, post harvest washing and, and packing. Um, they also had like, uh, chickens and some goats that we took care of. Um, so, uh, there was sort of a rotating chore list every week or two, you had a different, different list, but, um, it was pretty much what needed to be done for the day. Um, there were 13 interns, I think when I was there. So a a pretty big labor force. Um, and, uh, we just kind of pounded out whatever needed to be done. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So that was your first experience. Did you have any other intern experiences before you started your farm? Yeah. From there, I went to work on a sheep dairy. Um, I, I really wanted my farm to, um, to revolve around small ruminants and be pasture-based. Uh-huh. And, and I really wanted to focus on sheep. And I didn't see a lot of people doing that. Um, and then I, I found this, this sheep dairy um, in Washington state. And I thought, well, that's a super unique opportunity. Um, so they had, uh, I think they were running about 200 ewes uh, that they were milking and they had an on-site creamery. So, not only did I get to learn like good herd management and a pasture-based uh, uh, um, dairy system, um, I got to learn, you know, uh, all about sheep healthcare from from birth to to you name it. And then um, I I also got to learn how to make cheese, which mm-hmm. was super fun. Um, and and I thought at one point uh, I might want to go into dairy, and that experience really taught me that that's not something that I wanted to. 
Um, I think to do to do cheese well is an art form and something that you really have to devote your life to. And um, yeah, it, it wasn't for me, but uh, definitely a really good experience. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then from there, um, I actually took a, a year long apprenticeship at um, a farm in North Carolina called Fickle Creek Farm. Okay. And they're sort of modeled after Polyface. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're a diverse livestock farm. They do um, uh, egg laying chickens, meat chickens, broilers, uh, turkeys. Um, they were doing sheep, cattle, and then they had extensive gardens, market gardens. Yeah. So tell me about the intern slash apprenticeship experience. You know, you were doing that for a couple different farms. What would you say would have made your experience better? Like how could a farm do a apprenticeship or an internship experience better? So my, my first experience and then um, also my experience at Fickle Creek were um, they set aside time for education for mm-hmm. sitting down and answering questions or picking a topic and going through it like farm finances or, um, you know, feed calculations or things that, um, you know, may not be that exciting to read about or dream about, but things that you really need to know how to do if you're actually going to run your own farm. Yeah. And yeah, so that, that was super valuable. And I think it, it, that was one of the big things I looked for when I was searching for internships and, and kind of interviewing for them was how much time am, are you actually going to spend teaching me or am mm-hmm. I just cheap labor? Because yeah. the, there's both types out there. Absolutely. And what would you say as coming from an intern, what would you say would make a better intern coming from the intern experience? What kind of things do you need to show up? So for someone who's wanting to become an intern, what do you think are the things they need to think about as they're getting ready to approach the experience? Um, I think you need to be ready to do the work and do whatever's asked of you. Um, it, it's a really humbling experience, even if you think you're going in, you know, knowing quite a bit. Um, it, it's not the same as, as running your own operation and um, everybody has something to teach you. So going in with an open mind and, and just ready to put in the work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so just willing to, a can do attitude is I guess what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. So let's move on a little bit. So you chose to do a pastured raised farm. Tell me a little bit more about that, uh, that choice. So I knew I wanted the the farm to, uh, revolve around ruminants and, and, and a pasture system, um, just because of the, uh, the practicality of it. Um, okay. Not, paying for outside grain, having more control of your own food source and the, uh, the benefit to the environment and to the soil, um, and doing it, it, we're doing a, you know, intensively managed rotational grazing program here. Um, basically our, our, our motto is that nothing stays put for very long. So all the animals are on the move all the time. And, um, we do that in a sort of, you know, a symbiotic relationship where the you know, the chickens are following the sheep and goats and the, you know, the goats are clearing uh, the high level forest and then the pigs are coming in after and clearing the lower level. Um, so 
saying pasture based is sort of a term that people would be familiar with, but it's yeah. really more than that. It's more of an agroforestry and a, and a very intensively managed rotation of animals. Yeah. And you focus on the, the ruminants. Well, it looks like you also do like pork and that sort of thing, correct? Yeah, definitely. So it, it takes a long time to build, um, unless you have a lot of capital going in to build a good flock mm-hmm. of sheep or goats or cattle. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew that that wasn't something that was going to pay the bills right away. So we started with eggs right off the bat from day one, we got layers because um, we knew that would be a constant cash flow. And then um, we also started doing some poultry for meat, uh, mm-hmm. specifically turkeys at Thanksgiving time has been our biggest profit um, earner every, year after year. And that's something that we started from year one. And then um, we're in North Carolina, so it, it, it's pork country. Yeah, um, I am always amazed at how much pork we can sell, even though there are a hundred other pig farmers around me. Yeah. Um, so it, it, and pigs are, uh, I think pigs are necessary to, to any farm system like we have because they're great recyclers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I have extra produce or, um, you know, we, we get spent brewer's grain from our local brewery for free like that that's all great um food for those pigs and you know we could be composting but i feel like putting it into you know nutrient nutrient dense pork um is is a really good good way to handle that waste on the Mm -hmm. farm and then um also you know our property is half wooded so the pigs were also um to help us kind of thin that and make it more manageable um, but yeah, the pigs have, uh, I think every year the pigs have been our biggest, um, like overall revenue source. Yeah. Yeah. So then with the pigs though, because they're in the agroforestry system, do you use them to kind of clear through before you, uh, bring through the, the sheep and the goats? Yeah. Well, uh, we sort of let the goats go through first. Um, okay. They get first, first choice. And they, they clear uh, a lot of the high level stuff and, and clear the leaves off of everything. And then the pigs come through um, and do the rest of the work. They clear the forest floor um, and they, you know, loosen up old stumps and things like that. And then we'll come through after them and thin the the small trees and the the vines and things like that. So, um, and then, um, yeah, we're, we're trying to, more now, but uh, trying to seed behind the pigs as they move and then slowly develop that more into like a silvo pasture so that we can utilize mm. that more for sheep. So what are you seeding with them? What kind of, what mix? Um, so in the fall, mainly we're using like a rye grass and um, a clover uh, mix. And that, that gets us through like December to April. And then when it gets really hot here, um, we're, we're relying a lot on the, the native grasses to come up. We're not seeding as much in the spring, but um, yeah, uh, I'm trying to think. Sorry, I can't, can't think right now what, what we've That's done. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, doing, we're doing mostly fall seeding to try and extend our grazing season. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, 
There is right now. I mean, I think there's a lot of push for more plant-based meats. I wouldn't call them meats. I'd call them substitutes. Uh, Do you have any pushback of what you're doing or what what are your thoughts on that? You know, um, my, my customers are, uh, for the most part, they are foodies. You know, Mm -hmm. they're coming to me for, um, high quality meat product. And I don't see them being the type of people at any point that are going to switch to the, to the meat substitutes. So I really haven't, um, seen that affect our bottom line or our customer base at all. Um, and, and I think, anybody that um, wants to, to compare sort of the, the nutrient value um, and the, the healthiness uh, of real meat compared to, to the fake meat um, is gonna have a hard time uh, making an argument there. So um, yeah, I, I just don't see those as a long-term um, solution or a, or a threat to the meat business but I could be wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, um, I think the thing to me is that you just have to start looking at some of the science that's coming out. I mean, Diane Rogers was just on the Joe Rogan podcast and she obviously had a really great, you know, comeback to a lot of that. And then, um, oh my gosh, I forget the name of this. I was just listening to yeah. the, yeah. I think so it's there's called the, the sacred cow. Yes. The, yep. The her doc. Yeah. yeah. Her do- book and documentary. And then, I'm trying to look here at another one that I um, was just listening to that was actually on the Mike Rowe podcast, um, uh, a fitness trainer called Vinny Tortorich. And uh, he came out with a brand new documentary too, um, which is all about that, which um, I, th- I think it's, I'm just going to try to see if I can find his um his, uh, his, his documentary here, because it literally was just on that, uh, that whole topic. Um, and he was talking about, go ahead. Oh, I I was just going to say, I think those companies like beyond burger and, and the others have dropped a lot of their health claims on their packaging at this point, because they just don't stand up. So now that their, their thing is it's better for the environment. Is that what they're pushing is they're not murdering. (laughs) So that's, yeah, that's the kind of what they're pushing now. So yeah, it's just interesting. I mean, like to me, there's, I've actually never had one of those like beyond meat burgers or anything, but I'm just, you know, thinking through when you have a, when you have like a pork chop, there's just nothing like that. Um, or you're doing pasture duck eggs and meat and like a pasture duck, there's just the flavor profile there. I don't, it's very, very hard to, to replicate. I think if you're looking at such a unique product. Um, yeah, I completely agree. Even compared to, you know, commercially raised chicken to, to a pasture raised chicken, there's a huge flavor difference. So I, I don't see how you're going to replicate that in a lab. Or... <laughs> yeah. What is the breakdown of your, like the enterprises? You said pork is your biggest. Would you say that the, the ducks are the smallest kind of, what, how do they rank? Yeah. So pork and eggs are, are two staples, I guess, of the business okay. they bring mm-hmm. in. Um, the revenue we need to to sort of expand the other enterprises, um, and then ducks are, uh, yeah, they're the smallest by far. We use them mainly to control pests, to control insects mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. on our property, and they do an awesome job of that. 
but we also sell duck eggs and some uh, duck meat. And then um, the turkeys are probably the next smallest, although on a profit margin scale, they are the winner by far. Um, we do fresh Thanksgiving turkeys every year. We hand deliver them. People go nuts for it. I have a waiting list. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great um, sort of customer interaction as well because you're, you're making people happy on a holiday. And, yeah. Um, now, yeah, they definitely remember you after that. Are they the most profitable because they cost the least to produce or because the customer's willing to pay the most premium? Um, because the customer is willing to pay the premium. Gotcha. Those, I think. Yeah. yeah. Because it's that it's, it's not, it's not just a Turkey. It's an experience. Yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a fresh pasture raised Turkey that you're going to take and celebrate a holiday with your family mm-hmm. and it's going to be the centerpiece of that meal. And so pe- people will pay for something extra special. Yeah. I found that documentary. It's called beyond impossible. How the fake meat industry is lying to you. So okay. anyway, yeah, it just came out. Definitely this- gonna have to check that yeah. Out. It you. just came out this year. So yeah, check that out. Um, okay. all right. Back to though, what we're, what we're talking about here, which is pasture-based, uh, livestock, Talk us through like the process of starting your farm. Um, kind of what was your, did you look at a lot of properties or how did you find the property you're on now? So when I was an apprentice at Fickle Creek Farm, which is in the Piedmont area, North Carolina, so the center of the mm-hmm. state, mm-hmm. Um, I was apprenticing with uh, another gentleman and we became fast friends and we sort of just in, in talking, um, realized that we had a very similar vision of what we wanted our farm to be. We were both ready to take the next step and become farm owners. So we ended up pooling resources and shopping for a farm together and and formed a business partnership. Um, and you know, neither of us could have afforded, uh, a property like we have now on our own. So it yeah. was really a great way for us both to get started. And we had very complementary skills. Um, I, I was really focused on the livestock and the medical care um, and also the, the business side of things. And he was very focused on, um, you know, the building and the mechanics and, and um, yeah, getting infrastructure in place and, and working all of that, those things out. So um, we were able to build this business together that way. Um, And the reason we ended up with this property is because he had gone to college in this area and and really liked it and Mm -hmm. felt like there was a sorry lack of of farms like like ours in the area. Um, It's a fairly affluent area or close to affluent areas. We're only about 45 minutes from the beach. Mm -hmm. And there's a large retirement community in those areas. And... um, you know, the farmer's markets were small and didn't have many farms at them. So he felt like there was just this huge hole in the market here. Um, and um, we were lucky enough, there, there's a couple small rural communities right around there. So without being too far from um, the center of our, our sales, um, we were able to find a, a really affordable property. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's only... 14 acres, um, which seems huge at first. And, um, now, now seems kind of small now that we've, we've grown, but it's about half pasture and half woods. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then the start of part of your work has been to start clearing that. Well, not clearing the woods, but turning it into the silver pasture for your, the different animals. Yeah, exactly. Making yeah. it more, more useful. And that's really where uh, the goats came in. We weren't really planning on going into goats. I thought, you know, maybe it would have a, a person yeah. goat or two, but once I saw what they could do for us, we, we kind of went hard into them and, I'm so glad that we did. Um, the goat meat has actually sold amazingly well. And, and I don't know if you sort of follow livestock markets at all, but prices for both lamb and, and goats are through the roof at, at auction right now. Oh, interesting. Um, and is in- that because just the, is there something specific driving that? You know, I, I really don't know. Uh, other than the move away from grain fed, meats um uh, yeah and they they those two tend to not be um commoditized and they're not uh vertically integrated by correct yeah companies so it's probably a better indication of inflation um than than other food sources are Interesting because there's not as long of a lead. Like, yes, with the cattle and such, there's so much invested. The move, the prices typically takes a little bit longer, Yeah. but with, with the goats and sheep, because there are a lot of small producers. I mean, I know the ethnic market drives a lot of those sales, but I don't think that has changed substantially in the U S in the last couple of years from what I understand. I mean, someone could correct me, obviously, but um, it's not like we've doubled yeah it's not, we've doubled our populations of those, 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 those ethnic parts. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and lamb and goat consumption in the U S is, is a fraction of our sort of protein consumption. Correct. But, yeah. Um, but there's, there's still a market for it. And um, we're lucky enough to be in, in a nice niche here where we're pretty much the only one you can get that from. Oh, wow. very cool. Nelson carrot, Satakoi melon, Buffalo tomatoes, Megatron leek. What do all these varieties have in common? Well, they're all dinosaurs or varieties that were dropped by the trade for one reason or another. So what do smart growers do? Well, if they can, they buy a bunch of seed before it goes out of stock and freeze it while they scramble to find new varieties that are gonna work better. But the problem is that eventually seed vitality goes down and the seed is no longer good. Is there anything you can do to revive the seeds? Well, introducing Ultra, an organic seed treatment, or as I like to say, a seed defibrillator. To back up a bit, we were able to get 20 kernels of what we now call Gill Select, a rare Indian corn variety from Gill Sweet Corn Farm in the Hudson Valley. We grew it out, distributed it to a number of farmers, and then life happened. About a decade later, I found the seed at the bottom of our freezer, and we took most of the seeds and tried to germinate them in a greenhouse. Only a few came up. Not enough to have good genetic diversity. Last year, with only a few handfuls left and a Hail Mary attempt, I soaked them with Ultra for 24 hours, then struck them into some trays and popped them into our germ chamber. 72 hours later, we started seeing shoots, and this year, even with an eight-week drought, we had a wonderful yield of corn. We sold some and kept back most of it for future seed stock. I'm confident that we wouldn't have been able to continue this lost variety without Ultra. Here's the best news yet. AgriGrow has agreed to offer a 10% discount to all thriving farmer listeners. Simply use the coupon code THRIVE when you check out. Again, that is T-H-R-I-V-E for a 10% off discount on your first order. Go to smallfarm.solutions for more information. Now, when you bought your farm, there was a lot of cleanup to do. Tell me a little bit about that. 
Yeah, it's a beautiful property and I, I feel super lucky that we got it, but it, it had a lot of issues. It had been neglected. Um, the, the front pasture the, as it is now was really a corn and soybean field. It had old crisscross barbed wire fencing laying down throughout it. Um, people had driven through it, sort of like there were, it looked like oh, wow. them donuts in it. Um, and then there was trash everywhere. There were um, like buried piles of trash. Uh, and I'm talking like whole like toilets and windows and- Oh gosh, um, yeah. Yeah, like incredible amounts of trash. So um, yeah, we really spent the first like couple months just, you know, taking truckloads to the dump and, and just kind of finding out what we had. Um, but in that trash, there were also a lot of treasures because we didn't have a lot of startup capital. So uh -huh. there were a lot of like old tools and materials and things that we could build with. And in fact, our first chicken coop was really built pretty much all from scraps that we found on the farm from pallets and old roofing material and tires and um and the thing works great you know mm, yeah so yeah we we saved a lot of money in the long run i think by by kind of sorting through what was useful and what wasn't yeah so then with that cleanup was there um was there any and did you ever run over anything with the vehicles that you shouldn't have uh yeah well we didn't but we had a, a our neighbor we didn't have a tractor for the first like five years and um, so our, our neighbor came over um, to, to do some, some tilling for us. And um, he knew about all the wire that was left in the, in the pasture. And, you know, he warned us many times, like, make sure all the wire is out of there. Yeah. Because it's dangerous. And uh, he wasn't on the tractor more than like two minutes before uh, he got some wire wrapped up oh, in gosh. his machine. Um, so yeah, could, could have been really bad. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, we still come across weird things that the pigs we say, um, like, uh, honor us with their like trash offering every day because they dig up things mm. even years later. Uh, yeah. we had no idea we're there. Yeah, exactly. So they're kind of cleaning that up as well as they go. Um, yeah. So then, you know, part of that, where you, did you put in water lines to the different parts of the farm? Was that part of that? How many years did it take you to kind of get the infrastructure you wanted in place? So we've always kind of kind of rolled with a very limited infrastructure um, plan, um, mainly because of the mobile nature uh, uh, of our animals. But um, one one thing that we really wanted was perimeter fence. And I actually delayed getting sheep for many years for the first couple of years, because I was worried about having sheep on the property without perimeter fence. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that was a big game changer. I think we did that uh, year three, we put in um, some perimeter fence and then we finally got our first starter flock of sheep. After mm -hmm. that. But that, that was a big game changer. Yeah. Right. Uh Talk us through your marketing because obviously you've got a wide variety. You got a beautiful website. I love your website. Are, are you Thank doing you. any social media or what's your what's the, what marketing works for your farm? Yeah, so our our sales are primarily all through farmers markets, and that's been really our marketing, um, you know, venue. That's that's 
face-to-face -face interaction with customers um, has, has been our, our main marketing tool, if you want to call it that. So we, we sort of hit the farmer's markets hard. We went to three or four uh, a summer um, for the first couple of years and just talked to anybody that would talk to us. Um, we really worked hard on our, our signage and our look and our branding. Mm -hmm. um, we made um, the like sort of pamphlets that we could hand to people. So even if they seem kind of not interested at first, people would take them and then they kind of walk around the market and, you know, check it out. And then they come back with questions. So um, that was a really good tool. We also um, tried to make things really visual because it's so easy for people just to walk by and not, not see you. So mm -hmm. we have a big board of all our products. We have, you know, you can imagine how many different cuts of pork and, and lamb and everything that we have. So uh, we actually have pictures and um, short descriptions of what that cut is, where it comes from and, and how to cook it. And that, that's been huge. People, you know, customers all the time are like, thank you for having this. This is so helpful in, in deciding because, you know, if you just like a, a list of cuts of meat, it's not that exciting and, mm -hmm. um, and, and hard for the average person to know what, what they're selecting. So can um, you find that information on your website? Is that someone there or is that just where you carry at the market? Yeah. Well, so we carry like a big board picture board yeah. at, the, at the market, but um, yeah, also our, our products on the, on the website are similarly um, mm -hmm. organized. And then um, uh, once we kind of get that conversation started with people at the farmer's market, we sign them up to our email list. And um, you know, I really wish I would have started that from day one, but um, that's been a great way to stay in touch with customers. It's, it's been a great way to know, like sort of, let them have VIP access to something that we don't have very often, like the turkeys or when the lamb comes in um, and they get first dibs and, and we see product fly out the door um, by doing that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so then you've got the, the farmer's markets. So you just attend one farmer's market a week or? So now we're down to, to one main farmer's market. Um, uh, I think three years ago, um, some local farmers got together because they were just dissatisfied with the markets out here that were, you know, 80 to 90% craft vendors and then just a couple farms sprinkled in. Um, so they wanted a true farmer's market that would attract people that um, really wanted to do all their grocery shopping at, at a farmer's market. So that's been uh, huge for us. The, the, the type of customer that's drawn to an event like that is, is exactly what we're looking for. It's, it's people that are looking to stock their freezers, um, that are looking for higher quality pasture-based, non-GMO, um, all the things that we're offering. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, uh, it's because it's interesting, I'm looking at your website here and you actually have a range of stuff because you do, obviously it's the eggs and poultry, pork, lamb and goat, you got on-farm events and you do soap as well. Um, and that's from the, the on-farm lard, I'm assuming, correct? Yeah, we do a lard and goat's milk soap. So, oh, nice. Yeah. So you're using two different products there. Yeah, tell me, tell me, the farm. tell me about the events you do. So that's that's actually something I'd really like to get more into, um, because the ones that we have done have been uh, great success. We we did some mm -hmm. goat yoga sessions uh, over the last couple of years, and okay. Um, that really stemmed from the fact that um, 
probably the most common request from my customers is, can I come pet your goats or can I come mm. settle your baby goats? Yeah. And so we thought, well, we should do an event where people can come and just interact with the goats all day. And then, um, you know, goat yoga kind of became like this, this thing, this keyword that people, people knew about and um, that really intrigued people. So, so we did that a few times and that was awesome. Um, it, you know, it, it's a great way to make uh, a lot of money in a short amount of time. It really, you know, solidifies that relationship with your customers because they get to come out to your farm and see what you're doing, you know, interact with your animals, spend the day with you. And um, a lot of them, you know, buy products while they're here as well. So um, yeah, uh, on-farm events are, are really a great way to, to build your business. Um, but it, they are a little bit labor intensive. I felt like, you know, we, you, you need to have a lot of hands um, on deck for, for things like that. If you want to pull it off well, like starting to need somebody that's in charge of parking and checking tickets and somebody mm-hmm. that's, you know, showing people where the bathroom is and somebody that's making sure the goats don't get out and, um, you need a yoga instructor. So it, it's a lot to organize, but, um, totally worth it. Mm-hmm. All right. So goat yoga, I want to do that here on the farm. The crew says I'm crazy. What does no, yoga is amazing. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So is there like a, a course I can go take or a book I can go buy? What's the, how do I start doing this? I, I literally picked out my friendliest goats, put them in a, you know, a nice, like grassy fenced area, you know, right before people got there. So it wasn't really poopy. Mm-hmm. I hired a local yoga instructor and people came with their mats and that, that was it. Like the, that was yeah, that I, I didn't, I didn't, teach the goats to jump on them and, you know, stroke yeah. their back like some, some people do. Um, but, uh, yeah, everybody had a really good time. So. Okay. So it's as simple as that. Yeah. I need some yeah. friendly goats. I need a pasture, like a little paddock that I can keep yeah, clean and trimmed for people yeah. to lay their, their yoga mats out on. Um, yeah. we had, a, we had a speaker with some soft music, you know, mm-hmm. pretty, pretty simple setup. Yeah. I was also thinking of doing that during the winter and, uh, taking a, co- a section of our greenhouse and just planting it with grass. Um, oh yeah, that would I, be great. And I, in there. exactly. It's so nasty in the, in the gray and they can go in a, a greenhouse and hang out with baby or probably we'd get the dwarf, dwarf ones we'd probably work with those. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, that's what I'm thinking, but I've got to convince everyone else. Idea. Yeah. We'll see if I can convince them. Well, what we wanted to do is one of the things we're doing is a, uh, a on-farm food truck, pizza truck. And, oh, cool. and I don't want to have to cancel if we it rains. So we were going to build a greenhouse and then half of it was going to be part of the funding for the NRCS is that you got to have cover crop in your greenhouse and it gives you more mm-hmm. points. And so I'm trying to figure out how can I get the points while implementing cover crop while still making money. And so I figured if I took half the tunnel, put it in cover crop, that is perennial and uh, people could put picnic tables on top of it. And, uh, again, so we'd have a, basically at any time of weather, we could have the pizza nights. So I could then just, you know, clean up the picnic tables and put the uh, goats in there in the wintertime. Well, just for the goat yoga. Yeah. Yeah. No, that worked great. Yeah. I just got to implement it. All right. Well, yeah. it's, I mean, because like, okay, so here's a good question. How many people do you have within a 45 minute drive of you? I mean, so Wilmington, North Carolina is our main sales okay. region and that's, it's about, depending on what area you go to, 30 to 45 minutes away. And that's where most of our customers are. 
Um, and there's two major highways that come sort of on either side of the farm. So we're very accessible. Um, and we're on a fairly major road. So really easy to find. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I think the first goat yoga we had, I think we had 35 or 40 people, something like that. I mean, yeah, really good turnout. Yeah. Yeah. I'm and, actually... and, I, and we charged $30 a head and then an additional $10 if you wanted a farm tour on top of that. So. Okay, so I'm doing a 30 mile radius of you and uh, it's a million people within 30 miles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you've got the, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've, you're pretty similar to us. I mean, you have probably, it looks more touristy aspects because of the whole coast, but mm-hmm. um, I mean, we just have a, we just have a lot. We just still have a really strong population. I mean, obviously a lot of our population is um the old GM crowd, um, the old uh, factory oh, crowd, because yeah. Dayton Dayton had massive manufacturing hubs. Um, sure. so you, but uh, so we don't have as young a population as I think you might have out there and touristy. But anyway, yeah, we have the university. So we, we have that. And then the retirement community. So we kind of have all ages. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. OK, so that's that's awesome. All right. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, kind of starting the farm. Was there a lot of, you know, intrepidation? Was there some fears going into that? Sure. I mean, uh, there was, there was certainly a lot of fear over quitting a a lucrative career that I had put, you know, a decade Mm -hmm. of work into and and, um, resolving myself to a a pretty frugal, you know, poor farmer's life. Um, But uh, yeah. And then actually taking the plunge and, and buying the farm, that's, that's a big commitment. And um, yeah, I, you know, I'd worked so hard to get out of debt before kind of starting my farming journey and then taking on all this debt was really scary. Mm-hmm. But, uh, um, you know, I, I felt really prepared as well. And I think that's, that's the key to overcoming those fears is, is education and, and preparedness. And we, we had a farm business plan written, you know, six months before we started looking for land and um, yeah, just had done, done the work to, to learn what we needed to do and, and had, you know, secured some funding. So we had some startup capital and, and had a plan on how we were going to bring money in so that we could grow the way we wanted to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so uh, now obviously you're a little bit more advanced in the farm. You kind of had a couple of years under your belt. What advice would you give to someone who's out there and just thinking about starting a farm? <laughs> That's a really good question. So I, I wouldn't take the decision to start a farm lightly. It's, it is more than a career choice. It's a, it's a lifestyle choice. So I'm sure as you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's really no days off. There's, there's not, not a lot of free time outside of farming. You know, even my social interactions are with other farmers and we end up talking shop. So it, it is pr- practically my whole life. And um, I don't think a lot of people are prepared to give that all to, to something um, or, or realize you know, that it is going to be an all encompassing, um, decision. Uh, mm-hmm. so if, if, uh, I think it's good to start small, uh, and kind of see if, 
it's something that you can handle doing, you know, every day uh, without fail. (laughs) Yeah. And then grow from there. (laughs) So obviously your internship experiences helped you get a lot of that experience to make sure you knew you wanted to do it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially that that last year uh, at Fickle Creek Farm, because, mm-hmm. you know, I had a lot more responsibility. And, um, you know, if something I was responsible for hap- was happening at 2am, like, you know, lambing, uh, I needed to be out there at 2am. And mm-hmm. so that really taught me that that sort of commitment that I needed to be, you know, ready to give, uh, you know, all my energy to the farm if it needed it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that I think wraps up all the questions I got. Is there anything else you wanted to share? Um, no, I don't think so. Other than, I mean, I, I certainly don't want to discourage anybody from farming. Uh, I just, I just think that, uh, you need to know the, the realities of it as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Make sure you know what you're getting into. Yeah, <laughs> so, for sure. Yes. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you coming on board and sharing with us. And uh, it's fascinating to hear how you've developed your farm, your background, because you took a little bit different um, like line into it than a lot of people did. So it's really cool to hear your story. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It was really fun to, to talk about it. Absolutely. This episode is sponsored by Rimmel Greenhouse Systems, makers of quality greenhouse structures. Whether you're just getting started or buying your 10th tunnel, Rimmel has a structure to fit your needs. I've purchased and grown in Rimmel houses and would recommend them to everyone. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.